we don't just go to a scripture uh, when we break our leg, we go to the hospital. <laughs> like we, we go through to trained professionals to help fix that. And it's the same thing with, with our mental health. We have to see that as um, like sometimes our, our brain will not function as it's supposed to. And we have to go to the people who can help us the best in, in determining those things. Truly, as mental health professionals, really truly exemplifying empathy. Because in the mental health field and counseling, empathy is such a huge thing. And so being able to obviously empathize with other people's challenges, empathizing with what they may be going through or dealing with, but also um, in that empathy, showing that we understand. Um, because one of my, my favorite scripture, Proverbs 4, 7, and all you're getting, get understanding. You don't have to wait until something's wrong to seek a therapist. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. All right. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on Arable Podcast. I am so excited. Uh, to have a couple pretty special guests joining us, um, Spoon and Rinty, um, and we're going to talk all about what they do and what they bring to the world and where you can find them and follow them and, and all of that. But let me give a little bit of background um, on these two wonderful guests. Lorian Witherspoon, also known as DJ Spoon, serves as the associate pastor of more than Conqueror's Kingdom Ministries in Arlington, Texas. He previously served in many roles in higher education as an adjunct instructor at Media Tech Institute, college advisor at the University of Texas in Austin, and as a college coordinator at Texas Tech University. Guns up. Whoa, Mr. Whoa. Witherspoon is currently a doctoral candidate in counselor education in the counselor education program at Texas Tech University. Guns up where he holds a master's degree in counselor education, as well as a bachelor's in psychology. So his areas of focus are black males as educators and the school to prison pipeline. Um, he's also a premier wedding DJ, event planner, and co-host of The Panel Podcast, which is where I got to meet him. <laughs> um, and lastly, he's married to his best friend, Jasmine, who I've also had the pleasure of meeting, uh, who is serving the world as a fourth grade teacher. Keep her everywhere. Our... Keep her in your Yes. <laughs> um, in Dallas, Texas. So I am so excited to get to see you again, Spoon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank y'all for having me. I feel like I'm very special. Like somebody wanted to hear me talk and I don't even That's sound right. good. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> um, and then I also want to introduce Daniel Rinty. Um, he is uh the college associate at Frisco First Baptist Church um, in Frisco, Texas. Rinty is an alum of Texas Tech University, which is, yes, guns up, where I have met him. I'll get into that a little bit more in a second. And has been highly invested in the ministry and community work uh, for most of his life. He's passionate about leading others to know Christ and has placed many efforts toward bridging social and economic gaps in lower, lower economic communities. Uh, Daniel is the co-host of Spoon and Rinty Podcast, a show that seeks to help their listeners apply biblical foundation in their everyday life experiences. Um, and Daniel, you and I um, 
had the connection, a Lubbock connection, if you will, uh, because you served in ministry with my mother. Yes. And we have all but officially adopted you. Your family wouldn't sign over the rights to do that, but if they had, like, we would have like signed on the dotted line. We love you so yes. much. So you yep. are an adopted mm-hmm. member of my family. Yes. <laughs> so welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm so excited to even be here. Kind of like Spoon was saying, we we love to have you on and ask you questions. So it right. is really a privilege that uh, you've wanted to hear just some of our thoughts uh, towards mental health. Yes, yes. So we're going to talk about um, mental health and the church and and all of that. Um, But uh, would you guys both just share a little bit with our listeners, a little bit about yourselves, both professionally and personally, anything that we didn't cover? Um, I didn't know that. Well, Daniel, you can go first if you want to go. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, I know my fiance would have a fit that I didn't include her in my bio. So, yeah. Um, Leah Rubio um, is my uh, recently. Uh, That's new. new. Yes, it's brand new. Brand new. I'm honestly getting used to the fiance word because I've been using, I stop myself when I say girlfriend. I'm like, girl, my fiance. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that's what's new in my world. Um, that I, that thing I, that's what I'd work, add to my bio, I guess. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, dog. Um, don't get in trouble. And just know that fiance is going to change to wife. So get <laughs> used to it, but not too used to it. <laughs> it's only a year title, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, so um, I, like you said in my bio, I was recently, um, I'm now the associate pastor. Um, and I was recently, I recently accepted that position after quitting my job to do ministry full-time. So, um, yeah, here we go. God, do your thing. I know. <laughs> um, aside from that, you know, the whole DJing and stuff, uh, I've been doing that for about 10 years or so. And, you know, I mean, you're not supposed to brag or anything, but I think I'm halfway decent at it, just halfway. <laughs> I can't – I haven't had a chance to listen to you do that, mm. but I do – I do stalk you on Instagram and you do look like you're having a lot of fun. And I oh, do think that would so be good. one qualification so of a DJ is to have a lot of fun. So I think you do oh, great. Yeah. Well, you know, talk to Daniel, see if he books me to DJ his wedding. Maybe we <laughs> oh, can work that out. You know, no oh. pressure though, no pressure. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. But the the picture in the background is actually like an, an actual live picture of, of Spoon DJing, which is like really, really cool. Oh, you're so, silly. Um, he's he's yeah. honestly one of the best DJs. I know. So right I might be a little biased, but. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't realize that. Very cool. Oh, leave me alone. <laughs> so cool, y'all. Well, thank y'all for taking some time out of your, your days. Y'all are doing some incredible things out there in the world. And you paused to spend some time with us, which we're grateful for. Um, We wanted to sit down with you and have a conversation about kind of um, mental health, um, but specifically mental health within the church culture and community at large and just how how that is going, um, how that's changed even over the last um, couple of years. Um, So as we dive in, just question off off the top here, how receptive do y'all think kind of church and faith communities are towards mental health needs and pursuing mental health services. Um, 
it's a big general question and, and just kind of in your experience, what have you seen and, and as far as receptiveness to, to those two worlds kind of crossing over and being explored together? I would say um, generally I felt like the church has been accepting of mental health needs. Um, but I do know that there's a lot of improvement ahead, ahead that needs that would that, that still have to go. Um, I think sadly um, our, our cultural awareness of mental health needs um, has grown the church's abilities to meet mental health needs. Um, but I, I do think that it should have been the other way around. I do think that um, the church should have been the, the major influences of, of discovering the mental health needs versus all of the stigmas that kind of exist within the church and have traditionally throughout the years. Um, but I, I do think that it we are going in the right direction and learning and understanding. Um, it, to, I guess to give you, I guess, background for where I'm coming from is a lot of times, like when it comes to mental health needs, uh, we'll just encourage people to pray about it or we'll encourage people and, and guide them through just scripture through it, which there's nothing wrong um, with that, but I don't think it should solely be just that aspect of it. Um, we have to see mental health just like we do with our physical health. Um, when we, when, when something goes wrong physically, there's, we don't, we don't just go to a scripture. Uh, when we break our leg, we go to the hospital. <laughs> like we, we go through to train professionals yeah. to help fix that. And it's the same thing with, with our mental health. We have to see that as um, like sometimes our, our brain will not function as it's supposed to. And we have to go to the people who can help us the best in, in determining those things. And so um, a lot of ways, traditionally, we've been one way or the other. And I think we're getting closer to where people are starting to apply both as practices. And I think that's a, a great place that we've arrived to. Um, I do not like that um, it has taken us so long to get here. Um, and also don't, don't like that, that the church wasn't the major mouthpiece in influencing that. And so um, I would love to see the day where the church is influencing in uh, important areas such as this and um, the world could follow suit as well. Yeah, I really think that I want to follow that. <laughs> yes, we do. I do. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. Well, something that does come to mind is there are, there are cultural pieces that we have to keep in mind. Um, you know, it sucks that we have to think like this. There's a black church, white church, Hispanic church, you know, Latino church, Asian American church, however you want to spin it. And so we have to think about it from the cultural aspect as well. I mean, you know, looking at it from the perspective of African-American, you know, culturally, I've been taught generationally by my parents or my parents' parents, my grandparents, their parents, and their experiences with um, some type of health professional, whether it be mental or a, doc or a doctor, a physical doctor, a physician. And so... <clears throat> You know, there's that stigma within the black church where I don't want to let people in my head because I don't want people to know what's going on in my head or what's going on in my mind. And so from that, then you get a spinoff of a lack of, um, I would even say, African-American mental health professionals, um, yeah. whether they be male or female, who can articulate that to the, I guess, uneducated individuals when it comes mm -hmm. to mental health. So not even speaking spiritually, but just looking at experiences and education. Like I'm uneducated about mental health 
and I, the only education I have is that my grandparents said that they wouldn't let people get in my head or they wouldn't let people get in their head. So you should do the same thing. Um, and then there's also that culture of, well, we just got to, you know, you'll be okay. <clears throat> or like Daniel was saying, you know, just pray about it or, you know, just um, throw some dirt on it, as they used to say, um, mm -hmm. just rub it off, just just dust it off. You'll be okay. Um, for boys, it would be something like, you know, stop acting like a girl. You know, you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to have those types of feelings or emotions. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of sort of spins, it spirals into, you know, the name calling, the labeling there. You know, you may be labeled as gay or homosexual or you have these types of feelings. So there's so many different layers of that onion that we really have to peel back to get to the core of it. Um, because how can I be receptive to um, Christianity or be, how can I, how can Christianity or people in that realm be receptive to mental health whenever they've had all of this backlog of information that is really opposing it? You have my feelings, my emotions, my political views, my social views, my economic views. Why would I allow someone to get in my head when I have all of this information that I know of, whether it be right or wrong, it's just what I was taught. And so mm -hmm. that's what we like to do. We honor what was taught to us. So why yeah. would I allow myself to kind of get into that field? I hope I'm not rambling. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually thinking as you're talking about some other uh, cultural factors that I'm aware of, like mm -hmm. the kind of um, tradition or tendency or commitment to go to your elders mm -hmm. um, within your family instead of going outside of your family. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, the mental health field is a very um, white or Caucasian dominated field. And it is, it is impossible for me as a white therapist to um, experientially understand. I might be able to cognitively kind of textbook, capture but i don't ex i can't experientially understand those cultural challenges um and it makes it either impossible or extremely difficult for me to speak to those right. one i don't know them innately um but then two that could be actually really uh, dismissive yeah or invalidating for me to do that and so um when you have a field that's dominated by um white providers that becomes that does become a challenge. So we have like layers of challenges here. Mm -hmm. We have the faith versus psychology and science layer. We have the general broad, broad brushed cultural mental health stigmas. And then we have layers of, of a different cultural um, traditions, mm -hmm. preferences, practices, and then wounds. That's mm -hmm. sort of what I'm hearing. You like, well, let's put that all in one big pot and stir it around. And this gets really complicated. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And something that I would also add is the lack of education as it relates to how those things, and I'm speaking obviously spiritually, how a lot of the, those things would actually support, you know, um, being a believer or so I'm going to pray about it. Here's some scripture, but also here's a story within the Bible that relates to someone who has a mental disorder or who is experiencing, you know, yeah. um, ideations about certain things or who may be experiencing, you know, anxieties or depression. You know, we have so many people that we could 
uh, I don't want to say label, but label for lack of a better word, that have had those different experiences. And so I mm-hmm. think what would also help, I kind of sort of bridge that gap, is seeing the relatability within those faults or within those challenges, mm-hmm. because it's easy to relate to people who may be alcoholics. It's easy to find uh, a, a gap, um, a bridge between people who may have dealt with some sexual desires or sexual issues in the Bible. But whenever we talk about mental health, that's something that we kind of sort of, you know, scave over um, and not really make that connection with people as well. So I think that that would also too help kind of walk people through and allow the church to be more receptive to the mental mm-hmm. health field. Daniel, you made a comment, uh, my paraphrasing, that it was like, it's really disappointing that the church wasn't kind of the, you know, the the pioneer or the forerunner in encouraging mental health, but you do yeah. see that it's shifting in that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, just your guess or observations, what do you think is starting to contribute to that shift and some increased openness or encouragement to lean into mental health um, yeah. and to be open to it? I think we had a lot of misconceptions about mental health that weren't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is, I don't know if it's how relevant of an example this is, but I was watching uh, the documentary, The Palace at Albion Hills, uh, with the the brawl, um, the mouse of the palace, um, and it was so cool being able to hear Ron Artest's background story through it all, and how much he battled depression and anxiety, and um, I promise I'm gonna tie this all together. But um, I remember during those days, during those times, we would just say, "Man, Ron Artest is crazy. Ron Artest is one person you do not want to get mad. One person you do not want to get upset. He changed his name to Metal World Peace. Like this dude is just crazy." And it was one. It was it, we loosely used that term back in the day, and um, being able to hear his story, you can't do anything but empathize. Was like, man, this is how this guy was labeled when he was battling so much, mm-hmm. mental, so many mental health issues, and and on top of just the traumas that he experienced growing up, it was just like, wow, how were we as a society so quick to to label him and to put him down so much? Like we didn't help him in any way whatsoever. And um, I think that our cultural awareness has been so loud when it comes to mental health that the church hasn't had, um, they haven't had, we haven't had a choice but to open up our ears to learning about it and understanding it. Mm -hmm. And I think that with our knowledge of scripture and what the truth of the word of God says, we should have had more knowledge when it came to these things. We should have had um, like even even our Christian scientists and their influences within our church, within the body of Christ, like of having a holistic view and not seeing it as an agent that's against faith. Mm-hmm. It's not against it at all. Um, it, it actually supports. And so um, I, I, that's why I say it's disappointing in that sense of like, man, like the church continued for decades to, um, you know, mm-hmm. label and to, to incorrectly direct people in this way. Um, but I'm not expecting everyone to be um, scientists or anything like that. But I, I think of just the Christian believers that we've had in the field and how we've how we can intersect that and allow the, that knowledge to to go into our leadership and how we approach and handle um, so many cases. Because obviously, with with things um, like there's been just so much knowledge of, of mistreatment um, through counseling, mistreatment through 
a lack of understanding and uh, I guess a level of ignorance when it comes to mental health that we're all looking back on and saying, man, that was wrong. So, um, I mean, and there's, there's definitely grace for that. Um, but um, I, I definitely think moving forward, it's something that we should have more of an open mind to and how uh, we can have this holistic approach when it comes to our counseling. Yeah, I feel like what you're naming, Daniel, is just this power of several things, and that's one empathy, uh, perspective taking, and then the power of story. Like when you hear such story, it's harder to go, that's crazy, <laughs> and, and, and judge, right? But when we hear story, and, I, I, you know, not ironically, um, Jesus shared the gospel through parables or stories, and so we can even see how he was so good at perspective taking and, and empathy through, through story, either telling stories or hearing stories. And, and that, that, as you were talking, that um, it's just such a good reminder of the power of have I stopped, stood in their shoes for a minute, took a little perspective and just listened to their story. You've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, this, this concept of culture and race and kind of in, in the mental health community, which I do think it textures and um, gives way to the complexities of this conversation. I'm curious what you would say to the mental health community and how we could probably respond better. You know, I think something that the church and what I hear you're saying a little bit, or both of you, is just this idea of entering in well and where we would have wanted the church to enter in better. Where could we do that better? Where where are we starting to do that better um, to respond to the needs? Um, but generally speaking, but also to kind of racial minorities within the church, you know, because I think... To Jenna's point, the mental health community is, um, you know, majority culture, white, Caucasian mental health providers. Um, and the, I know for the therapists of color on our team, that the burden to respond to their people is heavy. It's heavy. And we need more in the mental health community. So I know that there's that need on our side, and we've had conversations, but... How could we keep stepping in and keep changing, and what would that look like to enter in better and to speak to this issue better? Um, what kind of comes to mind for me is just, I mean, truly, as mental health professionals, really truly exemplifying empathy. Because in the mental health field and counseling, empathy is such a huge thing. And so... Being able to obviously empathize with other people's challenges, empathizing with what they may be going through or dealing with, but also um, in that empathy, showing that we understand. Um, because one of my, my favorite scripture, Proverbs 4, 7, and all you're getting, get understanding. So if in anything that we're trying to do, it is very important that we get an understanding of not only why they should, you know, be more receptive to mental health, the profession, the science, and all that other stuff, but also get an understanding of why they are apprehensive. Um, mm -hmm. Because learning why and how or why people are apprehensive, it 
it kind of sort of allows a light bulb to go off and say, hey, this is the reason why they are apprehensive towards it. So how can I come at it at an angle that they would understand? How would I be able to speak to this challenge in a manner that they would be receptive to? Because, you know, and that's our job, you know, us as mental health professionals anyways, is trying to find that small window that we have to seize at that given moment at that point in time, because we only have a short amount of time before that window closes. And, you know, we may not ever see that window open again to really be able to get in and dig in that area. Um, and so getting that understanding will also shine a light on the lack of education or the miseducation as it relates mm. to mental health. Because, you know, kind of sort of like I was saying earlier, a lot of African-Americans have been taught about the mental health field by people who are not mental health professionals. <laughs> and so yeah. we begin to see that spill over into the church because... You know, these the same people who don't have a degree in counseling or in therapy, they haven't taken their NCE, none of that stuff. They are now our preachers. They're our ministers. They're our ushers. They are our deacons and elders. And they hold these positions in the churches. And guess who they mentor? Guess who they preach to? Guess who they shepherd? Guess who they disciple? Other people who are dealing with traumatic experiences dealing with yeah. traumatic issues, dealing with, I would even say, generational curses, things that have been happening within their families. And so mm. they're just teaching them what was taught to them, or I would even say discipling them the best way that they know how based off of Scripture. I love Scripture, but we also have to be able to understand that Scripture, it the best way to be able to, to be able to interpret scripture and apply it to different lives is dependent upon our experiences. Mm -hmm. So if I have an experience as a mental health professional, I'm going to see John three sixteen from a completely different perspective than someone who is a doctor or a journalist or a football player because of mm -hmm. our different experiences in life. They shine light on what scripture means and how we can apply them with these different uh, individuals. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Again, we're dealing with people who are honestly trying their best and yeah. they really just don't know, um, haven't been educated on what it truly means to be a mental health professional and how that can be more of an asset than it is a liability. Yeah, I think that's really good um, because I think of just onboarding for job processes and um, like I worked with communities and schools for a nonprofit dealing with children and things like that. And we learned so much. Um, concerning mental health and how to counsel and how to have conversations and the trainings involved with that. But you it's not necessarily required when it comes to uh, the ministry side of the mm -hmm. process. I don't know what every church does, but mm -hmm. um, normally when it comes to a specific fields and specific industries, you have training uh, involved towards that. And so um, a lot of times when you step into ministry, you don't necessarily have that that those counseling trainings and those education moments and those things like that, where you have those mental health professionals who are stepping in to help develop people who are about to have conversations with people. So I, I think that's definitely a great, um, a great aspect to consider. Um, I, I think of just all the roadblocks when it comes to um, our culture, our community, uh, specifically the African-American community when it comes to mental health. And, and obviously you can't ignore the um, economic uh, side of it um, as far as one, it, it's, 
even even before we get to the economic side, like there's a stigma involved of like, oh, if I, I see a mental health professional, like I'm I'm crazy or something's yeah. wrong. We have to unlearn the fact that you don't have to see a mental health professional when something's wrong. It's actually it's actually great to talk to them when there's nothing wrong. So something yeah. else doesn't have to be wrong. <laughs> but um, we we have to unlearn those things. Um, there's so many just stigmas that we could list so many different of the so many different versions of them that we have to unlearn. Um, I, I think the economic side of it too, the just um, being able to provide that resource for lower economic communities um, and, and figuring out how we can partner up with nonprofits that can provide that resource um, so that, that can come full circle for these children who are going through so many different traumatic experiences. Um, in lower economic communities, you, you have the prevalence of single family homes, um, either without mom or without dad or being raised by grandma. Um, or, or growing up in an abusive home. And so uh, me, me and Spoon, we actually worked together at Estacado High School in East Lubbock, and we ran into so many different cases of, of students and children who were going through so much. Like, they would step into our office just to unload. Yeah. Like, um, and, and just hearing the stories, hearing how much these students aren't allowed to just be kids and have to step up as adults in their homes, mm-hmm. and, and they don't have outlets to release to, um, I think I think we could, especially in the, the mental health industry, we could work alongside these students a lot more um, because they 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 really don't have much to come home to. Mm-hmm. School is really the only guaranteed meals that they have. Yep. School is the only outlets that they they get to experience art and have fun and things like that. And so, whatever ways that we can collaborate with with schools, school districts. Um, in, in providing that service for these children that, that desperately need it so much. Um, as far as the lack of, I guess, diversity in the industry, I, I would I would even say um, some of these students don't even see that as like a, a career path for them and showing them that need of like, you know what, like you, you understand how much this was beneficial for you. Um, why not go and bring that back to your community? Um, and, and so in, intentionally providing opportunity through scholarships um, through trainings, through discipleship, and, and all of that. Like, and I say discipleship, but, like, literally, like, taking them under your wing and mentoring and showing them, like, like yeah. the way and, and having that. I think it would be very, very beneficial um, to, to help, I guess, in tangible ways address the need. Um, I know specifically for me, um, it is it, – I, I, I love that – that I can, can go to someone that looks like me. And I would even love even being able to go to someone that doesn't look like me so that I can measure experiences and like like look at multiple lenses and multiple different approaches and, and get get feedback from different areas in different ways. Um, so I, I, I definitely would highlight those few areas as like some tangible things that that can be done if you're listening to this and how, how we can walk alongside in, in helping that. I think... I think we've, we've kind of gotten to a better place to where like, oh man, a lot of these stigmas aren't true. And so I guess that next step of, of just providing that resource in these schools um, and, and providing those relationships, working alongside these nonprofits so that we can allow this resource into these communities so they can learn from their experience firsthand of saying, you know what, that's not true. I actually was able to unpack and learn a lot of things um, and grow in so many different areas that I didn't think that I was going to be able to. But a lot of times, like, there's no convincing um, them to seek out something that they can't necessarily afford. And so uh, ways that we can uh, make that affordable by we have to get creative, I guess, with with so many partnerships and things like that. But um, I do think that it's a need and something that that 
Man, dude, you said a whole lot of good stuff. I know it's like a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, good. No, y'all are good. I did not realize that you guys. I mean, Daniel, I knew your story of, mm-hmm. of working at Escoto High School, but I didn't realize that's where you and Spoon kind of hung out. Is that where y'all met? So we actually met through an organization that we were working through at Texas Tech called Collegiate 100. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we we did a lot of community service in East Lubbock uh, through that. And that honestly probably helped build my platform to help to, to get into my – I was working with communities and schools as mm-hmm. I was doing ministry as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so – and he was working with the Gear Up program, which they – I mean, he could talk so much about how much that changed lives and allowing students yeah. and helping go on visits and helping them with college resources and things like that mm-hmm. so we got to partner to do some really really cool stuff with with students okay okay and i was wondering where y'all's paths kind of crossed i hadn't asked yeah. the question yet yeah. yep <laughs> but something i do and it's yeah, i want to highlight i want to highlight daniel's highlights um <laughs> but um a couple of themes that i heard was more so being able to be proactive rather than reactive um, and that goes hand in hand with discipleship. Um, whenever you're discipling, whether it be students or leaders in a ministry and you're coming at them from the mental health perspective, well, instead of, you know, them coming to you or them showing up in your office because there's a problem, like Daniel was saying, it's okay to get involved with um, a mental health professional when there's nothing wrong, because it can yeah. give you the tools or the resources that you need once you deal with, you know, some type of challenge or some type of spiritual warfare, or however you want to spin that. Um, and then adding, uh, also adding to that, you know, I'm reminded of Jesus whenever he even said, you know, don't, wor-, basically he paraphrases and says, don't worry about trying to preach to people whenever they're hungry. So if there is a lack in something, that they need mm-hmm. going to uh, hear or listen to a mental health professional is not going to be top priority whenever I haven't eaten or I'm more so focused on how I'm going to get a scholarship to go to school or how I'm going to be able to get from the house to work and then back. And also I also have little brothers and sisters that I also have to take care of too, because my mom works a couple jobs and she's single parent. And I have a brother in elementary school and another and a, a sister who's also in elementary school. So I got to get them to school, get myself to school. Oh, but I also have football practice. So now I have my own extracurriculars. And so a lot of these kids, um, and I would even say junior high, high school, a lot of what myself and Daniel work with, they have so many other obligations that mental health isn't even on the forefront of their minds, let alone they haven't even been educated by a mental health professional. And whenever they're in school, they have counselors, but the sole focus of the counselor is to make sure they have their schedules. <laughs> yeah, it's guidance counseling. You know, they have a guidance counselor. It's a little but, different. You know, so they don't necessarily get that outlet. And the outlet comes whenever they're having a bad day because they relate to school and then they blow up and then they end up in some kind of detention or something. It was like, yo, they never got an outlet. So we're start, we're seeing that cycle. And going to see a, a, an actual counselor or therapist was never on the forefront of their minds, let alone a thought to begin with. Um, and it's all reactive. So now I have to go see a counselor because I have, I've been labeled to have anger issues. That's a reactive mm. response, not necessarily a proactive one. 
And yeah. I, I think that's what a lot of our kids, as well as us, we've been taught to be more yeah. reactive than proactive. So if we were going to try to engage, and again, I'm going to go kind of follow the layers that we've been talking about here. Like if we're going to engage faith communities and then specifically faith communities of color um, where there is hesitancy and, you know, wounds and generally, but then also from the mental health community, like there's very specific histories there and I'm, I'm aware of at least some of them. Um, I, I heard you talk soon about there the elders and the leaders mm -hmm. and some of the beliefs that are passed down. And so, and then I'm also hearing you, Daniel, talk about accessibility of mental health because of the cost. And I'm sure the four of us could like unpack that every which way for like four hours yeah. because like I can just as much argue for accessibility issues as I do you know, as a practice owner, um, in private practice mm -hmm. with people who like, I'm, I'm not okay with my, my team not being able to take care of themselves because they don't get paid enough either. Mm -hmm. And we have a huge issue that's actually probably umpteen layers yeah. of systemic <laughs> issues where mental health is just not supported. Right. Like, like people really don't understand that like insurance doesn't pay mental health yep. well at all. Um, Spoon, I know that you, I mean, you're wrapping up a PhD, um, but like, even if you had just done the master's level, which is technically a terminal degree for people who don't know to become an LPC, um, or LMFT licensed marriage and family therapist or licensed professional counselor. Um, those masters <laughs> per the state requirements are so large. They are not like, and I'm not, I'm not making a dig on other people's masters, but the average masters is about 36 hours. Right. The state of Texas and some other states require even more require 60, 60. hours. So we almost, yep. it's almost a double size masters yep. to just get the terminal master's level degree to do any level of licensed mental health. And you know, we're talking about people taking out loans or paying cash for that. Mm -hmm. And it's a large investment that um, does not get paid well, right. not to mention you have to maintain all of the licensure. So we have like, yep. again, um, I'm, I, I, I yep. got distracted. Yep. It's a big Oh, that's the layers. That's the layers that you're referring to. The like that literally was a description hours, of at the bottom. Yeah. Supervision. Yeah. All yep, the hours of supervision. Yes. That's just the degree. That's not yep. all the stuff that comes after. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I'm really for my people charging what they're worth according mm -hmm. to my accountant. And then on the other side of it, do we have people who can't access that? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. like, I have a hard time affording myself. Like, I'll just put that out there into the yeah. space. Okay. Yeah. Like that's a very real thing. Um, and then you have these humans carrying other human experiences mm -hmm. and we have to be careful not to do too much and overwork or we, we're not very good at what we do. Right. So we're exactly. talking about burnout rate and all of that. So we have a huge issue with accessibility mm -hmm. with that aside or with that maybe included as a small facet. You know, when we talk about these faith communities of color, 
it sounds like a lot of bridging, and I remember doing this for years in lots of different faith communities, is to like go in as the mental health um, provider, but like as an educator mm-hmm. and to do it in group settings and to um, build relationships with the leadership mm-hmm. and kind of earn that trust. And then they would, they would go, I trust you. So I will let you talk to my people, but in this large group setting, so nobody had to pick up the phone and make an appointment. And so then we would do that level. And so I'm just sitting here and listening and remembering my experience of doing a lot of that at one point in my career. And I thought, maybe we need more of that Mm -hmm. so that we're like breaking the ice and bridging the gap and being very gentle and, and empathetic. And I would say even trauma informed, like all the Mm -hmm. trauma that comes into the background that creates barriers. And so, um, and then honestly really supporting our brothers and sisters in the field that are clinicians Mm -hmm. of color and really propping them up. Um, which I, I do try to do a lot with my team. And give lots of opportunities to let them be the voice as well. Um, so yeah, I'm just thinking about all those layers that you guys just unpacked. No, that's a good idea though. Like as far as like, I guess at minimum, leadership equipping, um, leadership educating of like, you know what? Like there might be some things that we have been saying that as normal that probably aren't, or like, you know what I mean? Like there, I guess at minimum, since we know that the accessibility part is, is needing fixing structurally and systemically um it's like okay how can we equip those leaders who now have positions who are having conversations with people so that like to help break these stigmas and to help improve experiences and things like that to where like they're more equipped to navigate through these conversations in a healthy way yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and like i i think um what's kind of coming to my head is like you know jenna whenever you were on unpacked you know mm-hmm. with uh, with Tim and Juliet, like that was such a good, it was a good, it was a good thing because people got to see relationships, not only from just strictly what the Bible says about it, but what the Bible says from the perspective of a clinician, you know, and I think that that helped bring it, bring it even more full circle for people. And it was very practical. And I think mm-hmm. that's the piece that we miss a lot, uh, miss out on a lot of just being practical um, whenever it comes to mental health. Like some people, they need the long, drawn out dissertation response. Some people just need one or two sentences and it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. And that just comes with understanding, understanding clientele, who we're talking to, um, what we're talking yeah. about, and also um, our responses to their experiences. So um, I, 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 the, the whole access, you know, we have there. Let me back up. I'm getting kind of tongue tied here. But the that the piece regarding access, um, we think of it definitely from the financial standpoint, which is very valid and very, very true. But some yeah. people don't feel like they have access because I don't understand the lingo. I don't have access mm. to this because. That is something that I've never experienced. And some people have access and actually deny it themselves. You know, we disqualify ourselves from the access of having certain information. Or let's just be honest, you know, and I can say this, some people are just lazy and don't even want to deal with it because they understand, like, if 
I bring this up to my church or bring this conversation up regarding mental health, whether it be about sexual traumas or a car accident or family traditions, whatever it is, if I bring this to the table, I may make my congregation feel uncomfortable. And, and so that, you know, kind of moves people in a way that maybe they're not ready to expose to their congregation or maybe they themselves as the leader, whether it be the pastor, associate, deacon, maybe they themselves are apprehensive to that information and they kind of sort of hide it from everyone else. I have access to it, but I don't want to deal with it. So I'm going to hide this from everybody else. So mm-hmm. even in that, there are multiple you know, layers worth looking at or unpacking um, when it, when, as it relates to access. Because uh, I think that we tend to focus a lot on the mm-hmm. financial piece, which is true. Again, it's very valid. But there mm-hmm. are, you know, there are gatekeepers who, you know, hinder access from people who would actually do well from it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for adding that. I appreciate that. Uh, no, no problem. It was you. You started it. <laughs> well, and I think what you're what you're highlighting there I love because it's I mean one I think it's always when we have a problem what are our barriers but I think about you know it's this very vulnerable thing right whether whatever the struggle is to your point and so how can we make it safer and if and if someone especially in in power says I'll go first I'll bring it into the room Mm -hmm. first or I'll figure out where we can find common language so that I'm not there speaking to you all the time. You know, I'm not using all of these psychobabble terms. Or I am because yeah. you'll understand that. And, and meeting people where they are creates a sense of safety, which then makes that avenue, you know, actually accessible or worth walking towards because I feel safe. In something that already feels really scary. I mean, I don't care who you are. Walking in and sitting on someone's couch and saying, here's where I am. I've done it myself as a therapist, and it's always vulnerable. It's always vulnerable. Yes. But when there's when there's a sense of safety and someone yeah. goes first or speaks a language that I can connect with, gosh, that, that just helps so much. And I think that's that's what you're saying, which is just so powerful. And so, so doable, right? You know, I think we can do that. Yeah. I was listening to you talk soon, and then I'm listening to Kimberly's follow-up, and I just think it would be so neat. It would be like a podcast, probably standalone all by itself or Mm -hmm. or whatever, where um, like-minded ministers and mental health professionals could unpack Mm. vulnerability and shame and connection and intimacy. Um, and I'm not talking about like the sexual kind because um, everybody knows Kimberly and I are sex therapists and we talk about that stuff, but just the barrier to doing that work, which is what you were referencing, Spoon, and what mm-hmm. Kimberly's talking about. And to really unpack that and spend mm-hmm. some time nuancing it both from um, what some of the brilliant researchers of our time and historically have have given us as far as language from a psychology and mental health perspective, but then also diving into scripture and like we can see it there as well. And 
man, I just think about it's such a big barrier. And, and both voices actually have a lot to bring to the table to help it along. Um, I would love to be a part of that conversation. That's all I'm saying. That's one thing. (laughs) We just, you know, maybe schedule that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, what, one thing I was to, I guess, add another thing is just like Jesus, Jesus went first. And so, you know, by following his example, you know, because and, and even Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So that's the that's the seat that a lot of these um, ministerial leaders need to sit in. Like, keep in mind, we're following you. We're putting our lives, in a sense, in your hands, and we're allowing you to lead me in the spiritual direction that we believe God has given you. So if you take it upon yourself as the leader to understand or to get an understanding, again, and all you're getting, get understanding, get understanding of mental health and what it means and how it's meant to benefit the life of the Christian believer versus put all of their information out on front street so they can, you know, just divulge all their deepest, darkest secrets. That's not what mental health is all about. If your brain is broken, go get it fixed. And it's as simple as that. And so even though it sounds simple, it's extremely challenging because I have to tell somebody else that I know I'm not perfect. I have issues. I have shortcomings. And I have to tell somebody that. And I'm the pastor. But on Sundays, I'm supposed to get up and preach with authority and exegete scripture and do all this other stuff. So that way people can not necessarily look at me as if I'm perfect, but see that, you know, I'm good at what I do. But a lot of Mm -hmm. people are like, yo, I, I mean, I'm good at preaching. I know how to study, but I'm actually nervous about preaching all the time. Because what preaching is supposed to do, and I know Daniel can attest to this, but what preaching does, it also exposes you as the preacher, as the minister. Because anything that you talk about, you have to talk about what you've lived through. And either you have already lived through it or you're about to live through it. (laughs) And like in in the same sense, That's the same role that a lot of clinicians play because they're able to relate to their clientele in a way that other clinicians aren't able to. That's why you have trauma specialists. That's why you have people who, um, you know, who work in other areas, whether it be school counseling or vocational or career, because they've had certain experiences that they could share with those who are sitting across from them to help them be better at whatever it is their purpose is for being in counseling. Um, But again, it takes that leader, whoever it is, it takes them really being vulnerable and not necessarily being vulnerable with the, the clinician, but also, but more so being vulnerable with themselves and being vulnerable with God, even though God already knows, (laughs) but still, you know what, God, I know that, you know, And I want you to know that I know, and I need your help. So we pray those prayers, right? Well, God, give me help. Well, God has blessed us with clinicians. (laughs) So there's the answer to your prayer. But unfortunately, that's not the answer that we want. We just want the problem to go away. I'm rambling. (laughs) No, you're not wrong. 
So I would like to, I don't think it's a pivot, but it might be. So I'll go ahead and say it's a semi-pivot. I don't know. Um, I'm curious as we're unpacking all of these things, uh, you know, the world has been on fire for the last mm. 18 months, a little bit, just a tiny bit. Um, but one of the things about the pandemic is that it has revealed new things, but it's also pushed old problems to the forefront. And so I'm just curious from a church and mental health perspective, like what have you observed in the last 18 months as far as needs, shift in perspective, good, the bad, and the ugly? I would just like to hear from you guys. I, um, when it comes to the pandemic, I definitely think it's it's played a, a major it's been just a heavy toll that it's it's been on people, um, whether we all recognize it or not. Like it, um, just the time that we've spent in quarantine, um, the the traumatic experiences we've all been experiencing. I've I've just heard stories of people carrying some some large weight of of family members passing, um, celebrities passing, and um, it's almost scary because we can almost become numb to death and it's like pick up and move forward without really ever dealing with like, you know, the last thing we just got done dealing with, you know? And so honestly, for a lot of people, it's felt like hit after hit after hit, um, including employment and, and financially and like just so many different areas that we all are never going to be the same because of. And so um, if it were up to me, I think we all need professionals that we should be speaking with um, to even unpack what we all just experienced for the last 18 months. Um, I think I think as a as a country, as a society, I think we would be really, really supportive of mental health as we claim to be if we were to be able to offer that and, and be able to subsidize that off of what we've been able to experience. Um, but yeah. I, I definitely have um, I've seen it heightened. Um, depression, anxiety. Um, I am, but I am also thankful of our advancement in this area as well, and our resources and our knowledge towards it. Because now we're a little bit better at as far as being able to help people and send people to the right help um, mm -hmm. that's needed. Um, a, a lot of self discovery is happening has happened during this time as well, um, and a realization of how much like being social helps us and having relationships around around us is is, is vital for that um, or even stepping outside for consistent fresh air um, and so I, I definitely don't think that we'll be the same because of this I know that this past year has probably had such a big impact on our children um, not having a full year of, of, of adequate education um, like it just will have its impacts that that will um, that we'll have to to adjust to, but I definitely think that um, there are some intentional efforts that we can do to help us all um, as we still continue to get through it. Like, it's not even, like, over. We're still, like, getting through the heights of this new variant, which is, like, new every week. And um, yeah. the, the Hurricane Ida, like, there, there were people with, like, health and, and natural disasters. and There's just so much to take in all at once. All at the same people time. People like, trying to just stay strong and move forward and push through and move on. But um, I don't know if I'm really getting to a point here, but I just know that there's all that, there's a lot that we've experienced in the last 18 months. And um, I think,
think there's going to be a lot more that we're going to have to unpack that we've just kept inside because we didn't realize that we've buried some of those things that we've been through. Well, you don't get to do the unpacking until you get out of survival mode. Yeah. And so, like, what I'm listening to you say, Daniel, is like, I mean, everybody has taken on an increased stress load to some degree in this. Doesn't matter what you believe. I keep saying that on the podcast all the time. Doesn't matter which side of the argument or conversation you're on. Like, everybody's taken on, like, a stress load from this. And um, you didn't use this word, but you're reminding me of our very good friend, Jill, um, an associate that we had on who spent an entire episode just unpacking the idea of grief and that you, you can't just move on and like, you know, push through without get, taking some time to grieve your loss. And the pandemic has brought a lot of really new, unique, not unique common losses. Um, but it's just been a lot that with prolonged stress. And so we've been in survival mode, even if it's not the type of survival that we think of, like, yes, I've eaten every day. And yes, I've had that. Although some people have, have lost that. Um, we've been in stress survival mode. And so as it comes down, um, we're going to need to do some healing work. It won't just kind of dissipate and go away. Like we're going to have to be really intentional about that work. And I, I totally agree with you. Spoon, as someone who serves both in the church um, and is trained as a mental health professional, what unique things are you observing kind of with your unique view um, as a result of the pandemic when it comes to like the mental health of our faith communities? Oh, uh, man tough question because i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of i'm seeing a lot of different things because yeah as you mentioned you know i do have this mental health background but i'm also in the church and so what i'm surrounded by a lot of is more my congregation is more of an older generation so like i'm literally the the youngest adult that goes to my church but ironically i'm somebody's pastor i don't know how that works but but nonetheless, I've seen how the pandemic has impacted them because also a couple of them also work with my mother at a daycare center. My mom has a, a early learning school that some of them work at. And so that's kind of sort of their, that's like, that's all they have. So when the pandemic first happened, it's like, well, how are we now going to work? How are we now supposed to operate in this situation whenever my income is literally based upon the attendance of children showing up? And so if we don't have a lot of kids, well, then I don't need to be there. <laughs> and and then on top of that, I have pre, pre-existing health challenges already as it is. So, you know, add that layer on top of it. Oh, the church is closed. So now I can't get my social interaction or my faith um, interaction. So there's another weight that we kind of add on to that. So there are so many different things that um, have um, weighed a lot of people down as it relates to what I've seen at my church in particular, um, including my parents, you know, who are pastors. And I've seen how it has also impacted them as well, because not only do they have to care for the welfare of themselves, but, you know, God has allowed them to be over a congregation. So they are now also weighed down with caring for the welfare of the flock that they have. 
So it was like, how do we manage maybe going to see them or making sure they're okay, making sure that they have food or are they having some challenges financially because they're unable to work? So a lot of different things are pulling on them as well. Um, So I've been able to see it in that sense. And then socially with friends, my friends were about the same age. We're pretty much peers. I've been able to see them. Some of my friends like flourished during the pandemic because they just got to come home and work from home and didn't really miss a beat. And they were actually able to spend more time with family, more time with friends or their kids to a certain degree. Um, They didn't lose their job. They didn't get hours cut. They got to save money on gas because they'd have to go anywhere. Like, Mm. you know, there were so many, it, it just, it's weird how it hit people completely differently in so many different areas. Some people flourished. Some people didn't miss a beat. Some people literally walked through trauma every single day. Um, some yeah. people had to walk around like checking their bank account, making sure nobody took something out because I'm not working. So how do I make ends meet? So um, <laughs> just looking at it from that side. So mental, speaking from the mental health perspective, some people did well within their mental health because they had less to worry about. Whereas other people, they had a lot more weighing them down mentally. So we saw the stress, saw the anxiety, saw the, even the frustrations because of the situation that happened that ultimately nobody could control. Yeah. So, as most, you know, this group here has been trained to do, like not make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do a lot of perspective taking. There's mm-hmm. just so much variety out there in this that that's um, something to keep in the forefront for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. I really appreciate y'all's perspective on this a lot. Um, I wish we were, I wish we had more conversations about the church and mental health. I think it's, um, too sparse. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Uh, Way I too agree. sparse. I agree. That that the labeling thing, and I know we kind of grazed it, um, but I think a lot of people speaking from that lack of education perspective with mental health, a lot of people who aren't educated in mental health, they label it as a spirit, or he's mm-hmm. he or she is demon possessed, or you got this going on. But no, mm-hmm. this person is actually having suicidal ideations and mm-hmm. they really could use, you know, a trauma specialist to help walk them through this process. That'll help get them mm-hmm. out of that state of mind. But, you know, we think, as Daniel was saying earlier, oh, just pray about it. OK, we'll pray. But now let's do some practical steps. Let's walk these people through and show them because. For some reason, the preacher has practical steps for the alcoholic. They have practical steps, you know, for people who may be out on drugs or smoke or whatever that may be. But whenever there's a challenge within my mind, which is the battlefield between God and the enemy, you don't have anything other than pray about it. That's all you have. (laughs) Um, So I believe that you know, just the calling, and I would even say calling it out, calling out the labeling or the mislabeling and, yeah. you know, just stepping out of that 
it's a spirit or you just need prayer. No, I need prayer. I need support. I need a professional. I need I need family. I need intervention. I need all of that because what's going on in my head is not right. And I don't know how to articulate how I feel. And mm-hmm. I feel embarrassed to even try to articulate that to people that I would think care about me. But instead, I'm talked about, ostracized, um, exiled, whatever it is, mm-hmm. or wrote off because of what's going on in my head. And I have absolutely yep. no control of that. Daniel Spoon, thank you all so much. This has been such a powerful conversation. I know one that, um, like Jenna said, it's just not happening often enough on so many fronts. And as you can tell, there's a few layers, if not a, you know, a billion <laughs> to the conversation. And so I, I appreciate y'all being willing to oh, yeah. just step into the space oh, yeah. and have this conversation. Um, we're going to wrap up the podcast in the way that we always do. We have two questions. The first is, what would you like our audience to take away from the conversation today? What would you like to leave them with? I, I, I would say, um, I mean, Jesus and therapy. Preston Perry has a shirt. He has a um, a lot of merchandise that, that, that works towards it. And I, I love that he does that as a big advocate for it. Um, and I, I, if you get anything from today, I would say um, you don't have to wait until something's wrong to seek a therapist. I know that you guys probably say that all the time. Um, but it's especially in lower economic communities, especially in the urban community, um, especially within our church community, like we, we, this is something that I think we all can can live by example in, as far as as far as having that. Um, if we if we want to see that, uh, let's let's actively have that within our own lives, actively live out that layer, so that we can help other individuals know uh, that a lot of the stigmas that we've created aren't true. And so um, let's learn by experience and, and let's grow together in this way um, so that we can all continue to get the help that we need. And I would also leave whenever you guys are reading scripture, as you're reading it, ask yourself the question, what is this person thinking about? Why is this person feeling this way? What is going through Job's mind right now as all of these terrible things have happened to him? What is Noah thinking about while building this boat and rain has never showed up? Is he scared? Is he afraid? Like, ask these questions regarding feelings um, whenever reading scripture, because a lot of times we read it as if it's just a story. And it is, but it's a real story, a true story, a love story. And so not just reading it as if it's just something, you know, I got to read the Bible today because it's part of my Bible plan. Or, you know, it's my one day for reading the Bible um, in a year or whatever it is. But, you know, really take some time and sit in those feelings and be able to even empathize and put yourself in those shoes of those individuals that you're reading about. Why is Paul in jail? Why does he feel so empowered, even though he's locked up and he's chained to a guard? Why would he feel joyful? Why wouldn't he feel upset or bothered? Why did Peter get so mad that he cut this guy's ear off? Like, <laughs> really ask these questions. Why did Peter lose his mind? Yeah, why? You know, why? Why did Peter lose his mind? <laughs> <laughs> you know, being able to just ask those questions about feelings because we tend to separate feelings from scripture. 
And I don't think that that should be um, a thing that we do, but include feelings and emotion in scripture because it's all about love at the end of the day. I do love that. Okay, last question for each of you. What was your takeaway from our conversation? And for me, my one of my big takeaways is just you explaining the layers um, of how multifaceted these problems are. Um, and, and thinking about, I guess, ways that we can still move in the midst of those problems to help, you know, solve them. Um, that's one thing I especially loved from the conversation was hearing that perspective of like, oh, man, yeah, you got this side as far as accessibility, but you also got this side as far as like, you know what, I definitely would love to be able to pay my team well in this. And how can we bridge those gaps in order to help that all come full circle? And so in my head, there is a lot of work to be done and a lot of, you know, I guess, structures to configure and see how we can make that intersect in whatever spaces that we can. But um, but there's also still some things that we can do in the midst of that um, to continue that work uh, going forward. Yeah, my favorite part was everything that Daniel said. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Everything that Daniel said. See, that's that encouragement, words of affirmation. I appreciate it. I know why you work with this guy. Dude. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just glad that he allows me to be on his team. Uh-uh. Yeah, I'm just glad. No, um, but I really love the part uh, where um, Kimberly was talking about somebody in leadership has to do it first. Like, that really, that really, man, it just really touched me because if you are a leader in any capacity and you're shepherding people and you know that people are following you, you have to go first Mm -hmm. and you have, you have to, you know, we say it all the time, lead by example. So if you have been the example or that person that God has called to be preacher, teacher, apostle, preacher, uh, disciple, evangelist, whatever it is, then it's up to you to be first and be that example for those who are following after you. So if you take the step to get educated in mental health, then everyone else is going to see. They did it so it's okay and it's safe. And I know that if I do go that route, they will support me because I supported them in the same thing. So, yeah. Kim, thank you so much. That was great. You're so so welcome. Thank you. the joy on Kimberly's face. It's cute. Um, Guy, thank you so much for joining us, for your time and your energy and your thoughts. It really means a lot to me that you guys said yes and came on with us. Thank you for having us. We appreciate the opportunity. It's always learning something, so I love being able to unpack all of these complex things. Yeah, I I share those same sentiments. Thank you guys so, so much. Real quick, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find and follow you, and then we will also include that in the show notes, but I want them to hear your voice. Tell it, tell, tell them where to find you. Yes, yeah, so we're on all social media platforms. Uh, I say all, yes, literally almost everything. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and, and our podcast is on uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, um, iHeart Radio, literally everything, but you can Pandora. Uh, yeah, Pandora. <laughs> you can look up anything. Uh, we're, we're the panel with Spoon and Renty, and you can follow us at Spoon and Renty. That's at S P O O N A N D 
R-E-N-T-I-E. Um, that's at Spoon, A-N-D-R-E-N-T-I-E. <laughs> um, and individually, you can follow Daniel at um, on everything. Daniel, last name, R-E-N-T-I-E on all platforms. And then myself um, on all platforms, Uncle DJ Spoon. Yes, it's Uncle, spelled correctly, and DJ Spoon. That is where you can find me as well. <laughs> I love it. Those two guys are fun. I enjoy so them fun. as humans. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fun. and they're funny and smart and witty. So I just enjoy hanging out with them. Uh, okay, takeaways, ma'am. What was your takeaway? Just a gosh, such a value for conversation about the intersection between mental health and faith and the church. Um, even the ability to talk about how culture and race, um, show up in that conversation as well. And just, you know, an opportunity to pause with these lovely gentlemen and just reflect on where we've kind of been and where we are and the growth that we have yet to do is, um, as a culture, um, was just good. It was a good conversation for me Mm -hmm. to just kind of pause and check in. And I just found it to be, um, life-giving to, to be able to do that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. What about for you? Uh, similar, you know, I, I think it is about uh, having the conversation more. I think, you know, things came up that it's working. These conversations work when we have them. And I, and I think we, we sort of explored that. But then I also think, um, you know, who has them, I think is really important too. Um, you know, church leadership is a big piece of that. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate them kind of speaking into that a little bit. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah. my takeaway. That was good. Would love to see more of mental health and the church working together, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.